Welcome to the Revivify Church Podcast. Here at Revivify, we exist to bring people into a fully devoted relationship with Jesus. As you listen, we pray that you experience a life-changing love of Jesus and come to know Him in a deeper way. Most of you know me. If you don't, I, my name is Pastor Devin Mitchum. I'm one of the pastors that gets to be on staff here at Revivify. And uh, I'm always thankful to be able to stand here and preach the Word. And just before I say anything, I've... It's always necessary to give honor to our pastor. Um, He and his wife, my mother, they are celebrating 30 years. So they are off this week. They'll be out of town for the next week and a half or so. And uh, there's no chance he's watching this right now, but we do honor him today. Um, I want to read out of um, the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6 say, Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. Today, uh, we're going to be starting a three-week series called Kingdom of Priests. Kingdom of Priests. Uh, this series is meant to answer specific questions like, what is the point of church? Why should I come to church? And what is the church supposed to be? I fully believe that after these three weeks, we'll be able to answer those three questions. Uh, and there's three things in each of these messages that we're going to identify. And this week, the first thing we're going to identify is what the church is supposed to be. Next week, we'll talk about what the church is supposed to do. And on the third week, we're going to talk about how we're going to get there. Can we, um, one more time, let's just pray before we begin. Lord, thank you so much for your presence in this house today. God, I pray that you give me the ability to speak this word as you have given it to me, Lord. I pray that every, every heart is softened, every mind is open. Lord, thank you for this word that you've given to your church. So the first part of this message, I'm just going to teach for a little bit. Is that okay? Can I just teach for a second? All right. Try to stay with me. If I'm going too slow, throw something at me. Or too fast, throw something at me. Exodus chapter 19 is the first time in Scripture that we encounter this phrase, kingdom of priests in the Bible. Kingdom of priests. And that may sound odd to some if you've never heard it, or maybe you just kind of skipped over it as that's some Old Testament, woo, you know, because they get a little weird back then. But truth be told, this is yet another attempt that God was making to create a space that he could commune with his people, the way that he had done in Eden. This is not a new thing. This idea of a kingdom of priests was not a a new idea or a new theme by any means. Ever since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, God had always been trying to reestablish communion with his people. Ever since the fall of man. So in the Garden of Eden, you had Adam and Eve, naked. It's important to know they were naked. Walking around, completely unashamed. And then there was the fall. You had you know, the, the, the forbidden fruit that they ate, and then all of a sudden they knew they were naked, ruined it for everybody. And, and there was this fall, and now there was sin, and a holy God could not be in the presence of sin. So now we have this disconnect, and ever since that moment in time, this Garden of Eden, this, this holy place, like the temple of God, if you will, this early place that God could commune with his people, 
You have God all throughout Scripture trying to reestablish communion, a kingdom where he could come and actually be with his people. You have Noah's Ark. Um, oh, the cool thing about that, actually, before I get into that, is that every time he tried to reestablish one of these kingdoms, they always came through water. And it's just kind of a cool theme throughout the Old Testament as you read. There was always water involved. You have Noah's Ark in Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8, where God wiped out evil with water. The Israelites crossed the Red Sea after fleeing Egypt to establish a new kingdom through water. Exodus 14, uh, Joshua 3, you've got the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant across the Jordan River and the water separated so it didn't touch the Ark of the Covenant or the priests that were carrying it. In John chapter 1 in the New Testament, you have John the Baptist who's calling Israel back to God. Where did he start baptizing? In water, in the Jordan. And then even Jesus began his ministry, John chapter 3, by going down to the Jordan and being baptized. There's this theme where every time God tried to create this communion, this, this, this new kingdom with the people so he could be with his people again, he brought them through water. And this is something where it's all throughout the Bible. You're going to find this. As you read Scripture, you're going to start to see this now you read Scripture. It started in Eden and it actually ends in the New Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 22 is talking about the New Jerusalem. And it's a place where God can, again, commune with his people. And fun fact, you want to know what the main street, right down the middle of the main street in the New Jerusalem is? Water. <laughs> it's just a theme all throughout Scripture. It's really cool. In Exodus chapter 33, we have Moses. And Moses, he, he wants to actually see God, right? You ever heard these, um, you ever heard these songs that are like, um, show me your glory? There's that old one. I don't know, there's a bunch of them talking about show me your glory, show me your glory. There's like this running joke now, like, I will die. Like, if I see the glory of God, I will surely die. A lot of that comes out of Exodus uh, 33, where you have Moses, who wants to actually physically with his eyes see God. And God's like, but you can't see me because you're going to die. Like, surely any human that sees, looks upon me will die. So what he does is he actually says that he will let Moses see him. So he hides Moses in the crevice of a rock. He says that he'll put his hand over Moses and pass by him. And when God says he can, he will remove his hand. And Moses could then see the back of God as he was going away. See, the issue between man and God was not that God was too pompous or too arrogant to be with his creation. That's not it at all. We, I think a lot of times we have made God a little too comfortable. Right? And it really depends. Like, there's so many things that come into it, why we do this. I came from a very fundamentalist background where it was like, you know, it was only him up here. And it was like only this far reaching, like we never could just commute. Like, he was just, he was way up there. So for me, I remember when I was in blogs were big, when I was like 16, um, I wrote a blog called The Coffee Shop God. And I felt so cool about this blog called The Coffee Shop God, talking about like this God that I could just chill and have coffee with. Much to my dismay, I found out these are still available online, but I'm not going to tell you where. <laughs> I tried forever to get into my old WordPress account. I can't get in. So it's out there, and if there's, the students tend to find all my dirty laundry, so they're probably going to find that somewhere. But again, the issue with man and God was not that God was just, well, I just can't be with those people. That's not it at all. It's not that God just can't hang out with you dirty, dirty sinners, right? That's not how that worked. But what it is, it was at the very 
picture of who God is, is holy. And he is, in fact, so holy that if he is to, to, his holiness consumes literally everything that is around it. That is one of Pastor Bunny's most famous quotes that has stuck with me for like three years now. His holiness consumes everything around him. I think I steal it like every four messages I preach. So there's that. Go to Cairo. Sign up. There's your plug. Okay? The very nature of who God is consumes us. So because of this, because we actually could not be with God the way that we were with God in the garden or anything like that, we then had to have someone come and be a mediator between us and God. That person was a priest. That person was a priest. The priest had a lot of jobs regarding the temple, and he had a lot of different duties. But I really think that the the duties of a priest can be summed up into two main things, and this is very general. I'm not going to get into all the details of the job, but we're going to sum it up into two general categories. The first one, if you're taking notes, number one, is they knew how to come before the presence of God. They knew how to come before the presence of God. So one of the things that they would do is, in, in, in the temple, you had all these different areas. You had like the courtyard, then you had the inner court, you had the, the, um, the altar where they do the sacrifices, you had the sanctuary, um, or sometimes it would be called the holy place. And then on the inside of the sanctuary, you had this really large, very thick curtain that, sur- that separated the sanctuary from the holy of holies, which housed the Ark of the Covenant, the Spirit of God. So, what they would do is, is it was part of the priest's job to actually go into the, the sanctuary and be sure that right at the edge of the sanctuary, right at the curtain but that separated the sanctuary from the Holy of Holies, there was a bowl of incense that had to be burned 24 hours a day. It could never stop. I want you guys to bookmark that for next week. Okay, We're going to come back to that next week. Once a year, the high priest of the temple was actually allowed to, to go through the curtain and enter the place called the Holy of Holies. Now, here's the thing about the Holy of Holies, is that if they were unclean at all, I'm talking about inside or out, they had a very specific process to cleansing their body before they went in. They had a very specific process to cl- cleansing their spiritual self before they went in. They actually, if they went in with any kind of dirt or filth, anything at all, inside or outside, they were actually struck dead. So it actually was, was, was kind of find out, they would take a, a, a rope and they'd put it around the high priest's leg just in case he went in and died. I really want to know when they found out about that. Like the first guy, did he just sit in there for a year? Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> the second thing, the second job of a priest was to mediate between man and God. So number one, come before the presence of God. And number two, mediate between man and God. So, okay, at this point, you're probably asking, okay, why are we just getting a history lesson on the Old Testament priesthood? Let's talk about New Testament. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 and 51, you have Jesus hanging on the cross, dying for you and me when we pick up the story. It says, then Jesus shouted again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and rocks split apart. So now, at the temple, this great curtain that we just talked about, 
that divided the sanctuary from the Holy of Holies has now been completely torn into and the Holy Spirit was released. Y'all know how thick this curtain was? This was no like ripping a bed sheet. This thing was thick. Like, do we still get phone books? Is that a thing anymore? No? You guys remember phone books? Phone books. Phone book. Like ripping an 80-foot phone book, okay? Like there's massive, like visualize it. This is huge that this happened. So Jesus dies. It says his spirit was released. And then the, the, the curtain to the Holy of Holies is completely split, Holy Spirit released. So now we're going to fast forward a little further. 40 days after the crucifixion of Jesus, Luke writes about some of the last moments on earth with Jesus. Book of Acts chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 6. It says, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, I've read that like 37,000 times, and I've never seen this until the Lord showed this to me when I was preparing for this message. This is such an important piece of Scripture because this right here, this piece of Scripture right here highlights the plan that Jesus had accomplished. See, the Jewish people, they were intimately acquainted with the Old Testament. They knew that there was this Messiah that was going to come. He was going to restore their kingdom. He was going to get them back on top and be God's chosen people again. But if you read the Old Testament, how many times had that happened? How many times had the Israelites been on top of the world and their couple generations, and then all of a sudden there's a bad king, and then for 15 generations, it was evil. This had happened over and over and over and over again. And it even says all throughout the New Testament, clearly the old law did not work. So when, when Jesus says this, what he's actually saying here is that there's a new way. Check this out. So when the apostles were with Jesus, this is the same portion of scripture, they kept asking, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. And then right here, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He was telling them in that moment, you had an idea of what this was going to look like. Because they did. They expected their Messiah to come riding in on a stallion with wings and a horn on its head, you know, with a crown, like, like flying in. I am the Messiah here to save you. And that's not what happened. Jesus flipped the script on everybody. Born in a manger. No place to lay his head. It was the complete opposite of what his people, the people he was coming to save, were expecting. So what he's telling them is you had an idea of what this was going to look like. You had an idea. You read the Old Testament. You saw the many times that I came and I restored the kingdom previously. You know that that happened. But what I have now is better. The plan that I have now is better. Can we just stop right there for a second? How many times is his plan so much better, but because it does not align with ours, we just, well, 
Well, God just hadn't, he hadn't met my need yet. God just hasn't, he just, he just hasn't done it like I asked him to. I come to church every Sunday. I give my tithes sometimes. I even served in the parking lot one time two years ago. And God just hasn't, no, he just hadn't met my need. His ways are not our ways, church. His ways are not our ways. He may not do things in the order and in the process that you want or expect him to. He never has. He never has. He literally surprised all of his people when he showed up on the scene because he came away that they did not want him to come. It's what he does. It's who he is. And I want to tell you that you may be on the brink of something really, really amazing in your life that God just wants to do for you, but you keep holding on to the way that you want it to happen. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Very next chapter, Acts chapter 2, we have what's known as Pentecost. The upper room where we had the Holy Spirit literally poured out on the people. And we have the start of the first church. And this, this moment in Acts chapter 2, this upper room moment, when this happens, is where we were actually able to adopt the phrase, the name of the body of Christ, because the Spirit of God had come upon us. Romans chapter 8, verses 10 and 11 says, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Now watch this. Up until this point, we have not had an opportunity anywhere in Scripture to commune with God. We had to have a priest. It was someone who, who stood between us and God to offer our sacrifices, to, to, to basically be sure that we didn't get struck down because of his holiness. We could not commune with God. But because of Jesus, because of Jesus, we no longer have to have a human mediator to speak on our behalf or make our sacrifices to atone for sins. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid everything. Jesus now stands in that gap as the high priest. Jesus became our high priest, and you and I are now priests in his kingdom. In his kingdom. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16 says, So then, we have a great high priest who has entered heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Church, your job 
as a Christian. This, this supersedes you being a pastor, you being a, a musician, you being a, a captain on one of our teams. This supersedes every calling that God has on your life. The number one job of, as a Christian is to be a priest in his kingdom. The number one job is to be a priest in his kingdom. The primary function of the church today is to be a holy priesthood that communes with God. To be a holy priesthood that actually communes with God. Our primary function is not to serve the poor. Our primary function is not to do missions work. Our primary function as a church is not even to advocate for social justice or be a morality compass. Now, before you get up and leave, when we're priests in the kingdom and we draw near to his heart, we will do whatever is on the Father's heart. We will do whatever's on his heart. And can I tell you, those things are on the Father's heart, and they are a thing to do in the kingdom. They are not the thing. It is important in the kingdom. Yes, we must do those things, but that cannot be our focus. Our focus as a church cannot even be Sunday mornings. This is great. I love Sunday. I like live Sunday to Sunday in my life. I'm so excited for the next one. But this isn't everything. He created us to be a holy priesthood, knowing how to come before him, knowing how to enter his presence, and mediating between him and the people of the world. But how many times are we so stuck on what the church doesn't do? Or how many times do we get stuck on the job that we have in the church? And you find this on both ends of the spectrum. Christians are the hardest to please. Come on. We find this on both ends of the spectrum. You've got people that are so hyper-focused on their job in, 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 as a Christian. I, this is me, okay? I get so focused on doing what I do that, that there's times, and she, she does this, my wife would be like, hey, you know we're still married, right? <laughs> hey, <who> said that? <laughs> but then we have the opposite. But then we have the other end of the spectrum that says, well, I just need to find a church that suits my preferences. Hold on. If you can look through this Bible and find me anywhere in 1 Meolonians chapter 3 where it says, find a church that suits me. I will give in on that one. I'm not going to. I'm preaching next week's message, so I'm going to stop now. We have to get away from being so caught up in doing church that we can actually be the church that God has called us to be. We have to actually be the church that God has called us to be, and the church that he's called us to be are his holy priests. Now, here's the question. Are we actually 
Are we actually chasing after holiness? We cannot be holy priests if we're not actually chasing holiness. So what does that look like? What does chasing holiness look like? It means putting away everything in my life that dishonors God. When we chase holiness, it changes the music we listen to. It changes the words that we speak. It changes the shows that we watch on Netflix. When we chase after holiness and becoming a holy priesthood before God, a holy church, we have to then shake off everything else that does not honor and does not please him. We have to stop living in communion with the world if we're going to live in communion with God. If we are ever going to be who God has called us to be, and I say if we ever because I don't believe we've gotten there. If we are ever going to be the priesthood that God has called us to be and actually live in communion with God, then everything in our life must change. If becoming a Christian caused you to not have to give up anything in your life, you're probably doing it wrong. Becoming a priest in the kingdom of God means putting away everything, ridding yourself of everything. And I'm not talking about just everything except that one really cool thing on Friday night. I'm talking about if it does not please God, you don't go anywhere near it. Holiness is something that every day when we wake up, today I'm choosing to chase holiness. I'm choosing to chase holiness. Today, I may have messed up yesterday, but today I'm waking up and I'm choosing to seek after holiness. Holiness has nothing to do with how you look. It has everything to do with how you live. And here's the deal. God looks at you as you are. He sees everything in your heart. There's nothing hidden from him. There's nothing you can hide from our God. But you have to make the choice to let him into those hidden places. I have to make a decision that if I'm going to be a holy priesthood, that I let him into every part of my life. I let him into every part of my mind. I capture every wandering thought. I capture every time the enemy tries to get in my mind and, and change things and make me angry at a fellow Christian, other brother or sister in the, in the kingdom, I take those thoughts and I go, no, clearly this is not of God because I'm, I'm chasing holiness because I'm going to be a holy priest in the kingdom. And that's what he wants from us, church. So what is the church supposed to be? The church is supposed to be a kingdom of priests, serving our high priest, Jesus Christ. It's not supposed to be a social club. It's not supposed to be a... a it's not supposed to be just something we do to feel good about ourselves. It's not it at all. 
We cannot disgrace his kingdom that way. Hear me. We've lost some reverence. We've lost some reverence in his house. And not just in his house, we've lost some reverence to the king in our own lives. Because we think that I can just show up every Sunday and I can get a blessing and get a word from God and hoorah, but I have not talked to him since last week. Hear me, church. Every, there is not a Christian in this room that you have not struggled with this concept right here. There are times and there are seasons and swells and things that we go through, absolutely. But are we waking up every day and pursuing holiness? Are we waking up every day saying, I am a priest in the kingdom of God, and today I'm going to pursue holiness? Um, I'm closing, but I do want to read this last portion of Scripture. First Peter, chapter 2, verse 4, it says, You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer scriptural sacrifices that please God. Spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. A holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. Don't you see? The fact that we are even able to gather here on a Sunday morning is because of one man. we stand in this place? The reason that we were able to do what we did here, Jesus. It's all Jesus, baby. Raven, there's Raven. It's all Jesus. 
The fact that we are able to come before a holy God and he doesn't just, it's not just that we come before him, he talks back. He shows us things in his word. He, he tells us things. Is all because of Jesus. Restoration is because of Jesus. Freedom is because of Jesus. Chains breaking. Addictions falling off. Restored marriages. It's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. There is nothing that you or I can do for that grace, for that salvation, but just accept it, Lord. You took me as I am. The reason that we are who we are is because of Jesus. The reason that we get to come before the throne is because of Jesus. And that's the gospel. That's it. It was a whole thread of him trying to establish this kingdom to commune with his people. And after all these attempts that didn't work, he finally sent his son for a lost and dying world. And he didn't say, go get fixed and then come to me. He says, no, meet me. I'm right here. I'll take you as you are. I want you as you are. Don't try and fix yourself before you come to Jesus. You come to him as you are. He meets you where you are. He just wants you to look at him. He just wants you to accept the salvation that he's bringing you. My God, as a church, as a people of Christ, we have to repent. Lord, for far too long we have taken this so nonchalant. Lord, for far too long we have taken your grace for granted. But Jesus, you are the king. Jesus, you are our high priest. Jesus, you created a way. Lord, I'm sorry for every time that we've taken this for granted. Lord, I repent before you. Jesus, today in this house, we are committing Revivify to being a holy priesthood in your kingdom. God, help us to pursue holiness. To chase after you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Revivify Church Podcast. We hope this leaves you encouraged and inspired to love Jesus more than anything. To connect with us or access other resources, please visit www.revivify.church.